Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this evening, we pray that uh, you would continue to shine your grace on us, that you would bless us as your people as we lift praises up to you, to your glorious grace. Speak to us in the power of your word this evening, we pray, O Lord, that you would remind us of your presence and your power that is forever in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this weekend, we're going to kick off a sermon series uh, that we've been talking about for a little bit on Ephesians, talking about how God's work in his presence is beyond our imagination. And we really want to encourage you to be involved with this beyond the weekend. We want to extend the weekend into your week. And there are a couple ways to do this. Again, just want to remind you, there is a Bible study tomorrow, or not tomorrow, it's Saturday, not Sunday, Monday night at 6.30 right here. And uh, Brad Alice will be leading that on Ephesians. Love for you to be a part of that. There are small groups that have formed. There are other things that you can get involved with. Uh, If you want to know what that is about, uh, just go to our website, click on the news tab. Um, In the newsletter, there are uh, uh, information on that and you can click on those and it'll take you right to sign up forms. The other way that you can be a part of that is in your worship bulletin. If you have this, and we're going to do this each weekend uh, throughout this sermon series, on the back side of it, and so the very back page, we want to encourage you to be in God's Word as we are in God's Word and to do that throughout your week. And so uh, after the the sermon, after the message over the weekends, we are going to have a couple questions that we want to encourage you to take home and to talk about as a family, with your spouse, with a friend, whether you meet in a small group, over lunch or dinner, or whenever you get a chance to, just to talk about these, to continue the conversation. And then on the other side, we're going to have readings, and we want to encourage you to be in God's Word as we do this, and to be reading God's Word along with this. And so there will be anywhere between uh, two for a couple of times and 20 verses that will be listed here. And just really want to encourage you to read this. And so this first section is on Acts. This is all of the background of what it was like when Paul was in Ephesus. And so you'll hear about Paul's time in Ephesus and what took place. And so we'd love for you to be in, in the, the Word of God as we are in the Word of God and to extend that. And uh, if you want to get the readings ahead of time, we actually have a sheet in the back that will have all six weeks worth of readings already printed out. So if you'd like one of those, uh, we can get one of those too at the end of the service. As we spend our time together, as we start to talk about being beyond our imagination, uh, I would say about who is really good at using their imagination? It's our children, isn't it? Like our children are great at using their imagination. Whether it's uh, building forts in our living room with blankets and chairs, or it's going outside and pretending they're their favorite star, whether that's a Milwaukee Bucks player on the, in the driveway shooting hoops, or uh, for my son, it's, it's Chris Bryant as he's hitting home runs for the Chicago Cubs, or, or whatever that is. And, and they create songs and artwork, and, you know, and when they draw things, they're like, Dad, this is what it is. And you're like, okay, that looks great. I don't know what it really is. But, but you know, like, like they, they just use their imagination in so many ways. In fact, I remember one of the shows that I used to watch growing up, and for some of uh, you, you will remember this, and for others of you, this will date me, um, was Mr. Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, of be- yeah, right? Okay? And, 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 and some of the youth in here are looking around like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I know. So, so but, but we, right? And where did the train go? The land of make-believe, Right? It's our imagination. It's beyond our imagination. And and I wonder if there comes a point in time where as we get older, we're like, man, you just need to grow up, right? Like, we become more practical. 
We become more reasoned. We become more logical. And, and then we start to constrain even God to what we believe are the limits to what God can do. And instead of believing that God can do things beyond our imagination, beyond what we believe is possible, that his grace is beyond what we could ever understand, we start to try to put God in a box by which we can understand him and and can come to terms with the work that he, or we believe, that he is possible in doing. But God does more than is beyond our imagination. And today we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at that in the way that, that, that the grace of God is beyond our imagination. And it's going to remind us of, of who we are, our identity. Now, I don't know about you, but I had nicknames when I grew up. Any of you have a nickname when you grow up? Yeah? So, so I had a nickname. Um, and, and then I had a nickname when I was at Sheboygan Lutheran High School as a teacher. And, and you get different nicknames over time. In fact, this week, the only reason I remember this is this week, somebody came up to me and said, Hey, do you remember so-and-so? I said, Yeah. Hey, they wanted me to say hi to Papa Howard. I'm like, Oh. That's a nickname from the past. Now you're all wondering, how in the world did you get the nickname Papa Howard? So the way I got that nickname was, um, I was a teacher at Sheboygan Lutheran High School, and uh, this was when, if you remember, the Dead Sea Scrolls came to the Milwaukee Public Museum. And so we actually decided that we were going to take all of the students in buses to the Milwaukee Public Museum. So we loaded the entire high school up on buses, drove down the Milwaukee Public Museum. Um, But to prepare for that, we divided up all the students among the teachers. Well, there was a group of senior boys who were a fun group. By fun, I mean unruly fun. And guess who got them? I did. And so I sat down with them ahead of time and said, hey, look, boys, um, here's the deal. Do you remember when your parents said to you, when your dad said to you, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it? I'm your dad. Okay, so you behave because I'm your dad. So at that moment, they're like, okay, Papa Howard. So I became Papa Howard, and it, I guess, has stuck with me even to this day. So, so don't be doing that to me, though, okay? Not on the next email or whatnot. But, but we all have nicknames, right? We've all probably received nicknames. Some of them are great. Some of them not so much. Some of them, though, we have allowed to define us. We have allowed those nicknames and the words that others have spoken about us to actually influence how we see ourselves or allowed it to influence how others have seen us. In fact, we allow a lot of things to identify us. Some of you, you allow your grades to define you, whether you are an A student or an F student. For some of you, you allow your success to define you or your failures, your reputation to define you. You allow a title at work to define you. You allow your struggles or your insecurities, you allow the words of others to define you. And there's a whole lot of things that we allow to define us as if that is really who we are. In fact, I wonder how much of our life is really a struggle about these two questions. Who am I and where do I belong? Who am I truly? And where am I supposed to be? This is the book of Ephesians. In fact, the entirety of the book of Ephesians is about this. In in the book of Ephesians, we see Paul speaking to a church in Ephesus. This was a very prominent church because this was a very prominent city. This city had probably about 300,000 residents during the time that Paul was writing. They had an entire huge road that ran right down the middle of this this city. And you can see where Ephesus is. Uh, It's in modern-day Turkey, uh, right across from Greece. And this would have been one of the places that Paul visited on his journeys. 
And so here he is in this city, uh, an artist rendition of this city, and you can see uh, they had this, this uh, harbor, a harbor by which they brought in a lot of goods, a harbor that actually boosted their economy, by which they became a very influential economic center in that time in Asia Minor. And then this huge road, and you can see it running with all these colonnades right from the middle or right from the harbor all the way to the theater that they're sitting in. It was a beautiful, a grand city, a city that had uh, this library, a very significant library that had this beautiful theater in which they would put on plays and acts. They had a gymnasium. They had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis, a very significant city, a city where actually Paul will spend about three years of his ministry And Paul didn't stay in one place for very long. Paul would go from place to place to place. But Ephesus was so crucial to the ministry and mission that he actually stayed there for a long period of time. And that city was what was called the Cult of Artemis. And this Cult of Artemis was a place where where they believed that this statue of Artemis actually fell from the sky. In fact, you hear about this in Acts chapter 19 and 20, that they have this, this rock this stone, and this was believed to be was the, the, the rock or the statue of Artemis, that as it was fully constructed, just fell from the sky and landed there, and that her power protected them, and that she was the one who richly and lavishly provided all that they needed. It was into this that Paul writes, and he writes the book of Ephesians, and he does it in two parts, and we're going to look at these two different parts and the first part we're going to spend the next couple of weeks on, he's going to talk about remember who you are, remember who you are. Remember who you are, because we forget. He's going to say, you have this new life, a life that is only yours in Jesus Christ. And then on the other side, after he reminds us of who we are, he's going to say, now that you know who you are, remember why you're here, that you were created on purpose for a purpose. Remember who you are, remember why you're here, because new life brings new living. It's into this that Paul begins this writing in in Ephesians chapter 1. And we heard Missy read this before. But if you were following along, there were actually periods and commas in it. In the original Greek, there weren't. This is considered the longest sentence in Greek. There was no break in the original Greek. It was one run-on sentence. Paul would have gotten a very bad grade in English class. But it's almost like Paul was so excited about what he was saying. Like he was one of those little children, you know, who like they just are telling the story and they can't catch their breath. They keep talking and talking and talking. And they're like, whoa, slow down. Like, relax. I mean, that's Paul. Paul is so excited about what he is about to speak as he relates to them the gospel that he speaks with this, this just or he writes with this great joy and excitement. And we see these words in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What do you want to be blessed with? What are the blessings that you pray for? What are the blessings that that you desire, that you have been running after, that you have been seeking in your life? Paul here says, says God is seeking to bless you, but he is seeking to bless you not just with material things, although he certainly provides for us our daily bread, but God is seeking to bless us in the heavenly realms with spiritual blessings. There's a phrase in here. It's actually in the second line, the last two words of the second line, where it says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is used 38 times in six chapters. 
If it's used that often, there must be something significant about it. Right? If you repeat yourself over and over and over again, you're trying to make a point. And Paul says over and over again, you have been blessed in Christ. You have been adopted in Christ. You have been blessed in the beloved, referring to Christ. And you're going to see this multiple times. I think it's six plus times in these first 11 verses. He keeps talking about in Christ and in Christ because he's saying your true blessings are found in Christ. Because every other blessing you're running after at some point fails. It falls apart. It crumbles. It becomes the temple to Artemis. Because if you go to Ephesus today and you look for the temple of Artemis, do you know what you're going to find? A whole bunch of pillars and ruins. You're going to see this, this, this beautiful temple that they, that they reconstructed four times, each time bigger than the last time. You will find it in ruins, rocks laying all over the place, because that which they thought would bring them blessing ended up in ruins. Paul says, if you want real blessings, turn to the one who can really bless you in the heavenly realms. Because spiritual blessings are better than material blessings because they last longer. So he says, seek that which are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, there's that phrase again, before the foundation of the world. Do you see how amazing that is? God chose you before he created the world. When my wife and I got married, about a year into marriage, my wife and I, we sat down to come up with names for our children, and we only came up with two names, David and Jonathan. And then we had five girls, right? We had two boys' names picked out before we even had any children, and then Delina and I find out we're going to have a girl, and then we sat down and said, all right, what do we do now? Better find a girl's name and another one and another one. And, yeah, right? like, but we had chosen David's name five children before David came along. Do you know God chose you thousands of years before you came along? Do you see how amazing that is? That God knew you. He saw you. He loved you before he even created you. That's the unbelievable, beyond imagination grace of God who says, in love, I predestined you. In love, out of my grace, I predestined you for adoption. That that, that idea of adoption is such a beautiful idea in Scripture. Because actually an adoption, and and, and I've I've said this before in another message, that 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 idea of adoption in the uh, New Testament time was not actually the way we understand adoption today. Because adoption today is done through an adoption agency that places a child in your family to be a son or a daughter. But at that time, it was actually the custom of, of some that if they didn't want their child, they would actually take their child, place their child in the marketplace, the Agora. And there was a big one that if I went back to the picture, you could actually see their big Agora marketplace. And they would just lay their child there if they didn't want their child. And then instead of uh, killing their child, they would just say, we're going to leave it in the hands of the gods, be it whatever Artemis decides. And then sometimes a rich landowner would come along and say, I need a slave. And so they would pick up that child and they would say, I'm going to adopt you, but I'm not going to adopt you as a son. I'm going to adopt you as a slave because I need someone who works my fields and works my household, but I don't want somebody who takes my stuff when I die, who doesn't get an inheritance. And God says through Paul, he goes, he has adopted you, but not as a slave, but as a son. See, so often we define our lives by the people who dump us and not deliver us. The people who cast us aside instead of pick us up. 
And some of you have defined yourself by that, by people who have dumped you, by people who have pushed you away, by people who have, have beat you down, who have looked down upon you, have spoken words that have hurt you. And God says, that is not how you define yourself. And you do not define yourself as a slave to those words of those who have dumped you, but you define yourself as what I have called you, and that is a son or daughter of God. You are a child of the Heavenly Father. You are an heir of the one who has set aside his glory to come down and live for you and me. That is our defining moment, that God has chosen you. Faults and failures, struggles and promised problems, no matter what it is, and, and he has chosen you. And too often what we do, though, is we hide our sonship behind slavery. We allow those words that are spoken to us to enslave us to an identity that is not ours to define us. And we hide who we are behind who others have said we should be. And God is saying that is not who you are. In the waters of baptism, when you were sealed with a guarantee, you were made my child. When you come forward and receive the body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, you are my child. When you stand before me and ask for forgiveness and grace and blessing, you are my child. That is who you are. And so Paul goes on and says, Therefore in him we have redemption through the blood, his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. You can see the run-on sentence, right? Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Notice that in him again. Things in heaven and things on earth. Notice what he says. He says, it says the riches of God's grace are lavishly poured out upon you in Jesus Christ. You see, this is the good news. It's the gospel. And the gospel is good news. It's not good advice, right? Like we have all received good advice before. But what does good advice do? Good advice tells us how to do something we're doing bad better, doesn't it? Like you're doing this wrong here. Let me give you a piece of advice on how to do it better. Good news tells us what's already been done for us. It's different. Good advice puts the burden on you. Good news reminds you that the burden has already been lifted off of you in Jesus Christ. That the glory is his. The hope is his. The salvation is his. The new life is his. That you are his in Jesus Christ. And he lavishly places upon you this gospel message that is yours, reminding you that who you are is based on who he is. And he lavishly does this. I, I just love that word, lavishly. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me when I used to go over and have dinner at my grandmother's house. Because I'd go over there, and, and my grandmother would always prepare this huge meal on Sunday afternoons. And it was roast beef and mashed potatoes and gravy and spinach and corn. And, and she just would lay this whole table out. And it was huge. And so we, we'd pass it around and put stuff on my plate. And no matter how much I put on my plate, do you know what my grandmother would say to me? You need more. You should eat more. You can't, you can't be full. Take some more. Right? And then she would come over. <laughs> and she would take the potatoes and heap it on and the corn and heap, right? Like, and she's just pouring it on in this huge plate. And she lavishly filled my plate. That's what the grace of God does to you. God pours his grace on you lavishly. You and I who are unworthy, God in his great mercy specifically chose you and lavishly has loved you in a way that nothing this world could ever do. 
And we look to the things of this world as if the world can satisfy our greatest needs and our greatest desires and can fill us with the greatest blessings that we need. And God says to you, it is not the world that can do this. It is only the heavenly places found in Christ that will give you the lavish blessings of the gospel that are yours in Jesus Christ. I have adopted you. I have made you my own. And the inheritance of the riches of the kingdom are yours. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have fallen short, they are yours. In Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift of grace that is. What an amazing, lavish blessing. And so Paul finishes with these words. He says, therefore, in him. Notice it's in Christ again. In him we have obtained this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ, there's that phrase again, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, there you go again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. And you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Notice where he's saying, saying if, you, if you missed it, three times he has used this phrase to the praise of his glory. He says, says, why have you been adopted to the praise of his glory? Why were you sealed to the praise of his glory? Why were you given a new identity to the praise of his glory? Why did God create you before the foundation of this world? He created you to the praise of his glory. That you are the displaying of the glory of God. That when people see you out of his grace, that you reflect that gospel, that grace to others, that they might know the same grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing message that Paul leaves us here in this first section. I I love this quote by Martin Luther, just thinking about the power of the gospel and how important it is. You know, in the midst of of, of understanding the gospel, the reason we need to keep hearing it on every weekend is this, is that you and I, we tend to forget it. When we go out from this place, we tend to forget that new life and that new identity that is ours. And then we listen to other people and we listen to ourselves and we listen to the news and we listen to a whole bunch of other things. And then we allow those things to blind us and cause us to forget the hope of the gospel that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so Luther, I love this quote from Luther. He says this, he goes, it is the gospel, this gospel that is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know it well, teach it to others and beat it into their heads. Yeah, I love that, don't you? Beat it into their heads, right? But why? Because everything falls and everything rises on the gospel. It's all about the gospel. All too often we want to know, what, what should I do? And what does God want me to do? And what's God's plan for my life? And what, you know, God wants you to know the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. The grace that changes everything. The grace that changes who you are. The grace that changes why you exist. The grace that we will see reminds you who you are and reminds you why you're here. That's the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. You want to know what is beyond imagination in Ephesians? What is beyond imagination is God would invite you and me, sinners like us, into him, in Christ, to be loved by him as adopted children of God, who he lavishly fills our plate with all sorts of blessings. That grace, that gospel, that joy, that is what's beyond imagination. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often we miss those things which are beyond imagination, the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. 
We turn to the things of this world. We turn to what we are supposed to do. We turn to our our workings. Uh, We turn to the words of others. We turn to what other people have said about us and the identities and nicknames they have placed upon us. And yet there is only one thing that lavishly and richly blesses us, and that is that you chose us, you adopted us, and you loved us before the creation of this world so that you might lavishly bless us in the heavenly realms. So may, Lord, we see that our greatest riches, our greatest wealth is not what this world would give to us because those things will lie in ruins. Our riches will be found in ruins one day. But the greatest blessing, the most lavish blessing of all is that you chose us in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world to be your sons and daughters. And that is who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his everlasting peace. Amen.